Bam 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 Welcome back, everybody, to Go Help Yourself. It's a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. This voice you're hearing belongs to Misty Stinnett. That voice you're not hearing belongs to Lisa Linky. <laughs> that one got her. Mm-hmm. We're back in the studio. We're feeling amazing. And we are here to bring you yet another self-help book review. Because it's freebie. It's free, not for us, you guys, for you. But we're happy to do it. Oh, I would say, like, it's free. Free Friday. It's Freedy. What? It's a full frontal Freedy. It's a full frontal Freedy. Okay. Welcome. That's we were already off the rails. A comedy self help <laughs> podcast to make a life cycle. One this minute in, and we're already into off Russian. the rails. It's fine. Um, so each week we read and review a popular self help book. We want to share with you the essence, the gist, the core of the message, so that you can decide: is that book going to change my life or wow. should I avoid it at all costs? These are very high stakes. Listen, I don't mess around. Okay? I, she it's writes comedy. all or nothing. Mm-hmm. We just need in, out, we're too busy, we want to be changed in five minutes, right? Make our, our lives better. Keep going. Our souls better. What's happening? Our personalities more vibrant. Oh, God. And these are all things that we guarantee or your money back you'll get on this podcast. <laughs> Keep going. Lisa's eyes are so wide. Listen, I didn't get a lot of sleep, but I have filled that void with coffee. Oh no! So here's where we here's where we are. Anyway, uh, and if you love what you're hearing, go buy the book, support the author. If you don't, you can skip it. Yeah, you're welcome. We're all here to have a conversation and just hang out with you while you're folding laundry, avoiding your spouse in your car, running errands. What are you doing right now, you guys? Are you running? All genders. What You're here for it. It's happening. <laughs> this is an amalgamation of a whole bunch of different intros put together into one super intro. It's superb. Lisa, what are you bringing us today? Misty, what I love the most is that you are so tired yet so energetic from coffee. Yeah. That you are not catching any of my bits, and I love it. Oh, no. It's, no, but I think the audience is catching it, <laughs> and they're loving it. Do you know what continually happens? What? In the moment, I'm so in my head about, like, presenting or hosting or, like, reading the knowledge of a book. And then when I go back to listen to the episodes, I'm like, oh, my God, Lisa's so funny. And she's giving me so many gifts You're so that I'm throwing to the side. It's Jif. Also, <laughs> I – um, there you go. I got it. <laughs> also, and then I wanted to yes and and be, like, creamy or crunchy. And then it's just convoluted. You it's gotta. all good. I'm laughing just because it is so funny. And you're you're – I can tell that you are – Tired, tickety tired, tickety tired. Okay, baby. let's move forward. <laughs> we cuss, and oops, we're very excited to be here because today I'm bringing you, dear girls, intimate tales, untold secrets, and advice for living your best life by Ali Wong. By Ali Wong, mm-hmm. I I talk love to me about the cover. Okay, hold on. First of all, I got to fangirl out for a second. Ali Wong's amazing. The cover is beautiful. Yep. She's sitting in this gorgeous, stylized mm-hmm. um, millennial pink chair mm-hmm. against a green velvet curtain. She is in a glam, off-the-shoulder, sparkly dress with pink heels, and she's asleep mm-hmm. in the chair. Mm-hmm. It's really pretty. It looks like a magazine cover. It does. It looks like kind of like a tabloid cover. Yeah. And she's and the dress is like a 
rose, dark, rosy, rosy yeah, pink. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I didn't know she wrote a book. She did. It came out in October of 2019. Okay. It's 240 pages. The hardcover oh. is 1629. The paperback is 2138. The Kindle Whoa. is 1269. It's more expensive than the hardcover? Um, I don't know. Wow. Probably because there are fewer printed. I don't know. And the Audible is 2450 narrated by the author. Mm. There are 14 chapters, uh, a forward, an intro, and an afterword written by her husband. The afterword is written by her husband, Justin Hakuda. Um, I'm not going to read the titles of chapters because there's so many, but if you look in the show notes, they're printed right there. Yes. Great. Okay. So this is um, about Ali Wong from the book. It says, Ali Wong is a stand-up comedian who has written and performed two specials, Baby Cobra and Hard Knock Wife. Which I think are both on Netflix, Mm -hmm. right? They're so funny. They are good. Because she's pregnant in both of them. Yeah. Uh, She co-wrote, produced, and starred in the romantic comedy Always Be My Maybe. She is the proud mother of two rowdy-ass girls who inspired this entire book. She aspires to lie down, but somehow keeps getting pressured into doing more shit that gets in the way of her lying down. (laughs) That's her description of herself in the book. But from Wiki, Alexandra Wong, born uh, in 1982, is an American stand-up comedian, actress, and writer. She's noted for her Netflix stand-up specials, both of which received critical acclaim. She's also known for her leading film role in the 2019 film Always Always Be Be My My Maybe, Maybe. which she produced and wrote with her co-star Randall Park. And it's such a fun movie. It is fun. She is currently a main cast member on the ABC television show American Housewife. Previously, she appeared on Are You There, Chelsea, Inside Amy Schumer, and Black Box. She also wrote for the first three seasons of the sitcom Fresh Off the Boat. Yes. And she voiced the title character, uh, Roberta Birdie Songthrush, a polite songbird and aspiring baker on the critically acclaimed animated series Tuca and Birdie, Mm. and the new student Allie on the hit series Big Mouth. She is truly... Uh, such a success story. I mean, like, she started writing and then, like, bam, has been in everything. She's well, so funny. She's been doing stand-up comedy for decades. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. So she's a stand-up, uh, stand-up comic turned writer. Like, Amazing. turned professional writer. Right, 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 right. So, um... Okay, so in the intro, she talks about how, and fresh off the boat in the beginning of the, like, writing season, they always have this, like, um... <laughs> Uh, trivia contest just mm-hmm. to kind of relax and whatnot and get to know each other better. And she's like, it's how, it's this is how all of my coworkers learned that I was a fucking idiot is because they were like, write down your idea, guess how far it is from the earth to the moon. And she wrote like 500 million miles <laughs> like or billion miles or something like crazy. And everybody's like, are you stupid? And she's like, yeah, I'm a fucking idiot. Oh, no. But she says, just accept that you're not a genius. Once I told myself that, I was f- able to finally write. So like she is just saying, get over yourself. Uh, she says, I'm a stand-up comedian that's famous enough now to receive a free Nike tracksuit and get harassed for pictures when I go out to eat ramen. I'm a five-foot-tall girl from the San Francisco Bay who has always loved making people laugh. I got a 1200 on my SATs. I'm your mother. I don't write fancy. I don't use words like facetious or effusive. I use words like doo-doo, kaka, and punani. Thank you. <laughs> Once I embraced that, these letters were an absolute pleasure to write. Okay, so... Her father died of cancer, and after he was gone, she found this letter in a sealed envelope from him to her, and it started out, Dear Alexandra, and he wrote it while he was um, uh, 
battling cancer. And she treasured this letter and loved it so much. But there were so many things that she didn't get to ask him about, um, like about his um, upbringing and what challenges he faced. Um, And she just wished that she knew more about his life and had so many questions for him um, and about the person that he was before she was born. Mm -hmm. And so she wanted to leave her daughter something with when she dies and letters that explore a lot of the topics she wished her father and she would have had conversations about. So... Um, she says, and then I figured, well, I should probably make money off of them if I'm going to spend all this time writing them. <laughs> so each I chapter starts with Dear Girls. Oh, I mm-hmm. love this. So it, it really sort of is letters to her it truly her daughters, is. It truly but is. maybe they'll apply to lots of people. They do. And it's kind of her life lessons, mm-hmm. still in her cheeky kind of comedic way, but some of the topics are kind of deep. Um, and we'll talk about it as we go through. Is this self-help mixed with memoir? It's sold in self-help. Okay. There's memoir in it and that she's giving from her life lessons what she would advise. Okay. This is fu- – <laughs> why did you make that face? I had some problems with some of this book. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. But she wrote it. There was no ghostwriter. Great. It is just her. Great. Chapter one, how I trapped your father. Thank you. She says, your dad is the, parentheses, if we are divorced by the time you read this, please skip to the next sentence. Best, but I just didn't find him overnight. I didn't just find him overnight. So (laughs) um, she was in the Bay Area and she's been doing stand-up. And when she moved to New York City, she's like, I thought it was going to be all sex in the city. Uh But she talks openly about how she dated and hooked up with lots of men who didn't make more than $15 an hour Mm -hmm. and were struggling like she was, like stand-up comics Mm -hmm. and had no you know, um, bed frame or sheets sometimes, you know. Oh, gosh. She says, or even worse, they were an improviser. And then she says in parentheses, <laughs> please always say, fuck no to those yes and motherfuckers. Oh, and I said, no. she's not wrong. In 2009, um, she went to an old high school friend's wedding in Napa. And she says, I took notice of the only other Asian person at the wedding, your father. And she talks a lot about how their their courtship and their dating, and it's it's fun and a great story. And she says, there's a lot of advantages to being with someone of your own race. The cultural shorthand makes it a lot easier. And she says she hopes that her girls end up with an Asian-American man or woman as well. Mm. She talks about how she hates dealing with intolerance of her culture's food. She says, the worst is when non-Asian people call chicken's feet or pig's feet nasty because they're insulting the food I grew up on that I'm excited to order and to eat. My people use this food to nourish themselves and one another, and you're calling it disgusting. She makes this really great point about how kids in school used to make fun of her for the food she brought to lunch. Mm. And now they're posting on Instagram fishing for likes about the amazing culture and cuisine that they're eating. Oh, right, right, right. Like how how cultured are they? Right. Well, like, and the other thing I've never understood is this sort of weird unspoken acceptance we all have of like, oh, it's okay to kill a chicken and eat its muscle meat, but it's not okay to eat its feet or it's weird to eat its neck or its feet. You know, like why is it okay to eat like one part yeah, it's just another. because of what we grew up eating. No, I know. But I'm just saying, like, if you actually think about it, it's like if you're eating a dead animal, you know? I, I don't know. I still get grossed out that they sell bully sticks to dogs and that's just like buffalo penis or bull is penis. Is what it is? Yeah, I wouldn't want to eat it. They sell that because people aren't really down to have a hot dog made out of bull penis, but they use all the parts of the bull. Speak for yourself. Well, you can have a bully stick and just chew on it. I'll let you know how it is. Okay. Um, So this chapter is all about dating. 
She has a lot of cultural takes about Asian American women who won't date Asian American men and also about who should pay. So she says, I feel very strongly that men should have to pay at least for the first date. Paying for the first date is to compensate for all the time and money women are expected to spend on themselves just to get ready for that date. It's the same reason why men should be the ones to propose to the woman and buy her the ring. It shows initiative, which is so important for a woman like myself, who has had to jumpstart so much in her own life. Paying for the first date sets a precedent that says, quote, I want to take care of you. I want to provide for you. And no, I don't expect a man to take care of me financially, but I want him to want to, to take the opportunity to make the gesture of doing something nice and giving right away. So I struggled a little bit. This I know. I'm sitting here scratching my eye because it's a lot to unpack. So it's for her kids, and she can say whatever the fuck she wants. Absolutely. But there are a lot of what I felt were competing ideals in here. So yes. some traditional, some yes. very contemporary, and also in the style of her like semi-comedic writing. So I got lost a lot in the letters to know of like what the quote lesson was or if there was one, when she was doing a bit to try to be funny. Or like when sometimes she was she's very overtly very funny. Sincere. Or if yeah. that's just how she feels because if you know her comedy, you know that she is a very blue comic. Yes. And if you're not familiar, blue means um, dirty, raunchy, nasty, lewd. And so to ha- hear this very, like, con- like traditional yeah. surprising ideals coming out of somebody who is so – and also sometimes in her book very modern yeah. and liberal. Yeah. It was kind of like, oh, Okay. Well, yeah, and in her stand-up, she talks a lot about being the breadwinner and making a ton more money than her she husband. She talks about that in her book, too. Yeah, it's it's it it's very interesting, and I think allowing space for whatever contradictions are there in a person's preferences is a healthy way to go about it. But, yeah, when you're a public figure and you're saying something. Yeah, and, you know, I— I uh, am also reading White Fragility, which we'll be covering soon coming Mm -hmm. up. But it is interesting to notice when – it is interesting to notice that as a white person, Mm -hmm. I would feel very uncomfortable saying to my children, I hope you marry inside the race. Mm. Well, I guess it's different when you are in a country where you're part of the majority – Right. It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the so the docu-series I've been working on for the last six months um, is all about uh, love in the Indian culture. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people, because within, you know, India is an enormous continent and there's many subcultures, many, many, like, like North Indian, South Indian. Not to mention caste There's caste. There's, there's, yeah. Yes, there's it's Marwari. Complex. There's Punjabi. Like there's all of these different things. And everyone expresses as they're dating, uh, you know, most people on our show, it's really important for me to find a Sindhi person that mm-hmm. I match with, mm-hmm. a Punjabi person, someone who practices Sikhism. And all of them say, because then I won't have to explain my cultural heritage. It's something that I can, that's important to my identity that we can easily, we don't have to have a conversation about how we're going to raise that. our kids because it's there. So it's like, it, yeah, yeah. I get that. I I just noticed for myself, yeah, some as a white woman thinking, I don't think I would ever feel comfortable saying to a child of mine, yeah, I hope you marry a white American. But there's more context to that because I don't well, disagree. No, 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 no. I mean historically, yeah. yes, because there is this this white nationalism I, happening now and well, previously. it always has been happening. 
Yes. But you know, I, but I'm just noticing, and I'm excited to cover it on Wife Fragility, but like yes. it, it was interesting for me to note. Yes, absolutely. And the, that, uh, uh, yeah, it was yeah. just interesting. I was like, that is something that I would never be comfortable saying. I don't deny anybody. The, and right. if somebody says to their children, I hope you marry within our race. Yeah. They're allowed to say it. Yes. White people are allowed to say to their children, I hope you marry a white a white person. Right. Asian people are allowed to say, I hope you marry an Asian American. But you know it what sounds I mean? differently coming it really from sounds different. Uh, the majority and traditionally oppressive race. It does. Versus the, you know. It does. Uh, it's so interesting. It is very but interesting. But part of what we're talking about, or what I'm reading about and what we'll talk about in White Fragility is that we have to be able to... Ex- Ex- explore and ex- expand on this Great. in order yeah. to kind of attack it. Anyway. Really interesting. It's so good. Um, chapter two, The Miracle of Life. So this is all about um, uh, having kids. Yeah. She says, even before your father and I got married, I felt like it was time to start trying for a baby. So she has three siblings and loved growing up in a even big family. Even before they got married. Yeah. Wow. Um, they had a miscarriage when they first tried. Mm. And she gives a great, a great take on people's responses. She says, I couldn't believe some of the insensitive responses I got. Here are the top five. Why? Well, did you take folic acid? It was probably from all the performing. Was it because you were stressed out? Was the doctor able to determine the cause? Or in other words, hey, Allie, how'd you manage to fuck up your pregnancy? Yeah, it's so, so blaming. Yeah, she says the underlying message of those reactions suggested there was blame to be placed on me as if I had control of the very unfortunate outcome. When you go through something as tragic as a miscarriage, the last last thing you want to feel like it was your fault. I agree completely with what she's saying. Mm -hmm. I don't think that people ever intend to say it like that. I think they are so anxious about um, figuring out what happens so that it won't happen again that they want to know why. I guess so. I also find, though, people have a very, very morbid and inappropriate curiosity in situations like this. Let me tell you the number one question I got asked after my dad passed away very suddenly. How did it happen? How did he die? Okay, yeah. allow me to re-traumatize myself yeah. and tell you over and over, someone who it doesn't make any difference to. I think you know? you're hitting the nail on the head is that they're not thinking about you. It's terrifying for them to think about losing somebody, and so they want to know why so they can prepare. I guess, or they just want to show, I'm interested in the details. I'm here to talk about it. You know, oh, I, so how did it happen? I think you no, know? because I think if they were truly interested, they would have em- empathy. And, like, want to know, like, what was going on with you. Do you know what I mean? I actually disagree. Okay. I think that is assuming emotional intelligence. Yeah. So, like, somebody might yeah. just go, oh, I want to show you I'm okay talking about it. So how did it happen? Yeah. Opening up a dialogue. Like, if you don't have the emotional intelligence to know that's a hard question for someone, you should create a space of empathy. Yeah, you should just sit yeah. with them. Like, you are wildly emotionally intelligent. And if everyone on the planet had your strategic and yeah, comprehensive yeah, yeah. emotional intelligence, it'd be one thing. But anybody who's listening, if you know somebody who has had someone pass away or or a pet or something dear to them, do not ask, how did it happen? If they feel the need to talk about it, they will talk about it with you. Yeah. But it can re-traumatize them. It really can. I, I, I think there's some—I think there's got to be something in the middle because I think it is— natural curiosity to want to know what happened. I think it is too. And you can say, you could just say, hey, 
I have some questions, but I don't want to overstep. And I just want you to know Which I'm here to talk a about a huge amount of emotional intelligence. A huge amount. Yes, right. <laughs> so she says, anyway. "Here's my tip for the best thing to say when someone tells you she miscarried. I'm so sorry to hear that. That's all you have to say." Yeah. She says, "Other responses I would have appreciated are, how are you feeling?' I was just about to say, or I know so many women who have had a miscarriage and it sucks, mm-hmm. but you're not alone.' Or here's a frozen bag of dumplings my Shanghainese mom, who used to have a dumpling shop in Shanghai, made. Um, oh, that's the ideal right? response. She got pregnant again three months after the miscarriage, and she says that the experience of the miscarriage made her not mind any of the side effects of the pregnancy. Mm. And she had also planned to have a natural birth, but a complication required a C-section. And this is." This is definitely like her style of writing. She says, another mom told me that when she felt the baby coming, she squatted at home and pulled the baby's head out from her vagina all by herself, Mm. which is cool and independent and everything. But like, be humble. (laughs) She says it was the first lesson in having kids. You cannot control anything. Whatever dreams you had of how things were going to go down, they ain't going to come true. Kiss goodbye your fantasy of delivering your baby in a rainforest or in a Buddhist temple surrounded by frangipani flowers and get ready to shit your pants emotionally and physically. (laughs) So chapter three, she just has these tips on giving birth. Here are a few quick tips on the hospital stay when and if you give birth. And each one of these comes with like a long explanation, but I'll just read the tips. Sure. Bring depends for yourself. Yes. Bring a breastfeeding pillow. Don't get tricked into paying for the bigger birthing suite that's $300 more per night. Bring a nice blanket, something soft and cozy that feels like the inside of an Ugg boot or a Care Bear's vagina. Bring DVDs <laughs> or an HDMI cable for your laptop. Pack lots of snacks. Bring a cute-ass onesie for the baby. Get a bunch of the gel nipple soothies that are free. Take advantage of the in-house lactation consultant. Take advantage of the nursery. Require all visitors to bring food from your favorite places that don't deliver. Make the nurses <laughs> get make the nurses teach your partner how to change all the diapers and bathe the baby. Get a blowout the day before you give birth and bring zip up or velcro swaddles to the hospital. Like you know the day before you're going to give birth, maybe if, if you're, you're having a C-section. Induced. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So she says this feels I said this feels truly like a love letter to her daughters in case she passes away before they're old enough to get married and have babies. Right. It's very personal. personal Chapter advice. 4. Why I went back to work. So something I do like is that she's very chill and non-prescriptive about choices her kids might make. Mm. She says whatever path you choose, if you have children, will be the right one for you and you don't have to commit to being either forever she had this i love that yeah it's really because i think there's this idea that like you're a stay-at-home mom till you're 18 or you're not yeah she has this fucking hilarious full-length schedule in her mind of what she wanted as a stay-home mom Mm -hmm. and none of it included actually caring for children it was like from 9 a.m until 11 p.m it was hilarious and she wanted to go back to work because she loves what she does and because stand-ups are self-employed and they don't make money on the shows they don't do. Mm-hmm. And because she signed a prenup. So she says, in oh, the end, shit. being forced to sign that prenup was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me in my career. Being forced to? It says it forced her to work hard because it scared the shit out of her, but in a good way. So like this was where I was like, huh. her husband came from a lot of money. Oh. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. And at the end of the day, she thinks working moms and stay-at-home moms are all just doing their best. Mm. Okay, chapter five, hustle and pho. Oh, thank you. Uh-huh. This chapter is all about stand up. Why she's... is that not a name of a pho place? Thank you. In... Okay. I'm sure it is. She says her daughters can be whatever they want to be, but she's worried that if the... she'll be worried if they want to do stand up. Oh no! So she says the act of doing stand up itself isn't that hard. Getting on stage in front of strangers, writing and performing jokes, and even bombing is the easy part. It's everything else surrounding that it's so difficult. The road, traveling, spending hours mm-hmm. on the internet to book the cheapest flights possible, eating a boatload of fried food with ranch dressing because there are no other options, fending off creepy-ass men, steering clear of your idols and funny colleagues who you learn tend to sexually harass women. Mm-hmm. And even at home, without the travel, it's always hard going out every night to shitty venues and shitty neighborhoods with shitty audiences and not getting paid for it. 
And she has this theory about why there are more female stand-up comics, even though she thinks that females are just as funny, if not funnier, and definitely quirkier than men, especially in everyday life. She says, safety. You have to get out of your home at night and hone your craft. And Mm -hmm. most women, she says, don't want to do that. When I go on the road, I have to get into a car with a stranger four times per day. From my house to the airport, airport to the hotel, hotel to the club, and club to the hotel. Mm -hmm. For a man, that's considered an adventure, full of potential man shenanigans like in The Hangover. Best case scenario is they wind up high on mushrooms getting blown by a stranger with a briefcase full of mob money and a foreign passport that doesn't belong to them. Oh, that happened to me once. Worst case scenario is boredom, which means being on their phones, which they also love. For a woman, though, it's four opportunities to get raped and or killed. I got into the habit of walking at night back to my car or to my hotel room with keys in between my fingers and always ready to scream and take a swipe at someone just in case. You got to want it really bad to constantly put yourself in those situations. You have to really love stand-up and embrace every shitty thing that comes along with it. Holy shit. She says you also it, you also greatly increase the chances of prolonged living with your parents. <laughs> and she says some people think that all stand-ups are dysfunctional, have mental health problems, or bad families. Mm. She says, but I think all you need to be a good stand-up is to have a unique point of view, be funny, and enjoy bombing in front of strangers. You really do have to learn to like bombing a lot. Yeah. That's what everybody says. Yeah. It's a great chapter on comedy and how you have to work to become better with great lessons along the way. And she talks about the resentment from some white male comics for being a woman of color. It's a great bit in the chapter. And now she travels with her kids and her family. So like her husband. I love that she's able to do that. And that is such – and it's not – that's not just like, oh, a little barrier to entry. That is an enormous barrier to entry. Yeah. Chapter six, Snake Heart. Dear girls, I highly encourage you to study abroad at some point. Mm. She says, the bottom line, spending a significant amount of time outside the United States in your formative years makes you a better person. You learn things from simply living your day-to-day life in another country that can't be taught in a classroom, like open-mindedness and empathy. Plus, you get to eat delicious food and hopefully fuck hot hot foreigners. (laughs) (laughs) Did you study abroad, I was supposed to study in Australia, and then I um, got a uh, position on like a really cool uh, like uh, organization so I ended up canceling which pissed them off but it was fine bummer I didn't I never studied abroad it really would have my sister did two summers I really would have I think I would have liked it I think also it was not the right time for me yeah Yeah. I still listen I still want to study abroad I have this fantasy that I (laughs) can just like Take a job in Amsterdam for a year because Amsterdam is the favorite, my favorite city I've been to in Europe so you can. far. Why yeah. don't you apply? And just do it. Also, I traveled a lot as a child. I lived in China for a month um, between my freshman and sophomore year in high school. Um, so I, I mean, you've had, it sounds like you've had that experience. I have had a lot of uh, being very privileged and fortunate to travel. That's great. I've been on. Four of the seven continents, five of the seven. I can't. So yeah, so I'm very, very lucky. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying as an adult to be more deliberate about it now. But the thing that I don't have is time. Yeah. Like whereas I was younger and I was like, I don't have money to do this, but I've got months off every year. Now it's like, oh, I could probably budget and make that happen. But yeah, uh, yeah, you should work. Okay, bye. Okay, so nice doing this podcast. But we can do it digitally. Yeah. Yeah, I'll okay. record at 3 in the morning. No, I'll record everything I want to record. I'll send it to you, and you can respond yeah. on your own, like a WhatsApp. We'll make it work. Um, she did a, a semester in Vietnam, but before that, she went to, to Hawaii to study Native American sovereignty and had an amazing time there. She's like, it's not— Native American sovereignty. Yeah, she's like, it's not um, technically studying abroad, but 
she talks about it because it was this amazing time. The program is 98% women. Oh. So she's like, I live surrounded by women. We were studying from powerful women figures. And we were all empowered by not having men around. And we didn't feel like we had to impress anybody. Yeah, you could just be. She t- And she took that um, feeling with, with her for the rest of her life. She says, we were as boisterous as we wanted to be without having to worry if it would be too much for any man to handle. And we were having fun for ourselves. And it was from that summer on that I decided I should just live with this attitude forever, regardless if there were men around or not. Great. She's like, we gained, I gained so much weight. We, we ate so much food. We partied so hard. We threw up and shit and broke our toilet. Like, she's like, it was, it was crazy. It sounds like they were just being people. They were wild children. When she, they broke the toilet seat and never replaced it. So hovering (laughs) over the toilet was the only exercise they got that summer. Really quick. Can I hop in and tell you something? Speaking of toilet seats. Mm -hmm. So my dad had such a sense of humor. He replaced all. All of the toilet seats in his house with these, they were clear acrylic seats Mm -hmm. and um, solidified inside were razor blades and barbed wire. So every time you went to use the bathroom, you were literally sitting on top of razor blades and barbed wire. It was a smooth toilet seat, but you could see them. Mm -hmm. Listen, I grew up in Florida. Yep, that's a Florida man's toilet seat. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) <laughs> um, she says, so then when she went to Vietnam to study mm-hmm. for a semester, she felt like she understood her mother better. Her mom was an immigrant from Vietnam. Oh. She says, uh, when her mom first came to the States, a dentist took one look at her teeth and said she, quote, had the mouth of a caveman. I used to think it was funny, like you might when you even read that. But the truth is that American society, while being so rife with opportunity and so incredible in so many ways, also generally made my mom feel primitive. Yeah. And so I'm really bothered by that. You know, I get it. Like, I don't think he meant it to be offensive. I think he was saying, like, I don't think anybody intends to be offensive with it. But it's just the context in which we grow up in. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you're here. We need to fix your teeth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's it's I mean, it's like a white savior situation. But yes. Yeah. And also, like. If if you were my patient mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you were living here and grew up here mm-hmm. and you had this mouth, I would I should be you would fired, be, right? Because they're different standards. That's right, right, right. right. That's right. She says, witnessing all of those hardworking female street vendors in Vietnam also made me understand why my mom felt so passionate about me and my sisters working. While we were in Vietnam together, she explained – and her mom came to visit her. She explained that the country had a history of always being in wartime. So, mem- so women were expected to rise to the occasion of making money for the family. Vietnamese women were always ready to take over roles traditionally filled by men, like a league of their own, but where everyone is Marla Hooch. <laughs> I also understood I why my mom Hooch. wasn't into processing her feelings and how she was taught to just get over tragedy. To survive, she had to believe things like depression and allergies were a choice. In a culture entrenched in wartime, those who chose to be unhappy or refuse gluten didn't last long. Yep. Wow. Okay. Chapter 7, The DJ. Dear girls, this is going to be a short letter, but it's important because I don't want you to repeat my mistake. I have always been attracted to men who dress hip-hop. (laughs) She says, it's sexy when a man is passionate about something because you think that passion will translate into the bedroom. You've already witnessed him being committed to something. His passion also becomes a healthy competition. Mm -hmm. The goal is to become so irresistible to him that you're the only you're the one thing that can pull him away from crate digging and record scratching. Thank you. (laughs) So please don't. And then she goes through this whole story. About how she was with somebody but was attracted to this DJ, this whole thing. She didn't cheat but, like, went out and and hung out with him. She's a, And then after she was broken up, the guy hooked up with her or came over to her house and she thought they were going to hook up and he didn't. And then he 
And she was so surprised. And then he told her he was a virgin. And she was like, get out of my house. Oh, no. <laughs> she says, so please don't ever have sex with a virgin man unless you yourself are a virgin. And if you do have sex with another virgin, prepare to be wildly disappointed. So, like, this long story, she goes to this long story to say this, but, like, it also seems to talk about emotional cheating and flirtation and consent, but doesn't ever, like, really make a clarifying statement about any of right. those things. Right, so she sort of, she she broaches the topic, she brings up the topic, but does not offer any sort of prescriptive... No. And I applaud her for being so vulnerable and sharing of herself, right. although we know from her stand-up that that's not anything new for her. Right. But, like, when she says that, like, she couldn't believe that this guy came over to her house and wanted to just hang out and that they were talking for hours and hours and hours and then finally she went to kiss him and he moved away. And she was like, well, I would never have sex with a man who rejected a kiss because it's just a pity fuck. And like, and I was like. Oh, she said that? Kind of in so many words. And I was like. <laughs> no, that's not a, that's not allowing for the other person's experience and context. I disagree. Also, I was just, she was like, you never want to have sex with somebody after you've worn them down. And I was like, but that's also not consent. No, that's not consent. So it was this weird, mm-hmm. like she, in a roundabout way, brings up consent, but then doesn't really kind of like explicitly say to her girls. Yeah. And, no and, is no. And <laughs> Yes. And also really interesting. <clears throat> Like if if that that section were written by a man, how differently would that be perceived? Yeah, after you've it's worn not a woman fun down. having sex with a woman after you've worn her down. Yeah, like that would be so wildly fucking incendiary and not okay to say. So this is my problem with the book in that I can't tell if if it's tongue in cheek. I can't yeah. tell. Yeah, because it blurs the lines. Yeah, and let's remember everybody. Consent goes both ways. It does. If a if and, a, and she wasn't trying to pressure him, but the yeah. way that she described about doing it was it f- delivery and context is so important. I needed her. I need to hear her tone of voice. I, I need exa- to see I her face. I was just about to say that. So like we would get it. We I would wonder get the if the audio book would be better. better for this. Oh, that's. Really I might prescribe an audio book. Listen on this one. Okay, because she's funny. In fact. All comics and I prescribe. she reads it yes. with her own comedic timing. All comics I prescribe. Um, yeah. I just didn't have time for this one. It was a, a fascinating. A, yeah. So yeah, that's right? interesting. Um, chapter eight, Mr. Wong. Dear girls, whenever possible, I try to coordinate matching outfits for me and your father. <laughs> But I have daddy wear the same clothes as me in order to claim him. A wedding ring is not enough, and him wearing a t-shirt that says Team Alley is a little bit tacky. I don't want any bitch to be misled into thinking that he's snatchable. Some might think it's a bit possessive, but I prefer to view it as a reflection of my love and how much I value him. So I I need to hear her voice because I think she's doing a bit, but also, again, if the shoe were on the other foot. Oh, my God. Yeah. If this were written by a dude, you'd be like, is he a psychopath? I think because she's like the tiniest, <clears throat> tiniest thing, it's funny to hear her Yeah, she's say. like five feet tall. That's part of the juxtaposition that makes it funny. And yeah. in her stand-up, she's five feet tall. She's wearing little ballet flats and a dress. And she's hugely and she's pregnant. pregnant. Hugely and then pregnant. the craziest things come out of her she mouth. She talks about like all kinds of dirty all, sex. All, all sorts yeah. of it. So this chapter is about how she grew to love her husband, even though they came from very different backgrounds and she was worried that like his inherent privilege would make it difficult for to be with him Mm. but he was constantly surprising her and was full of contradictions Mm. on her birthday once she thought she would get a fancy gift because he studied at harvard they met when he was taking a year off from harvard business school and he lived in this tiny program he uh yeah 
Okay. Uh, it de- I think it depends if you maybe if you have a joint degree, it's more. Okay. Um, but he um, so he was living in the closet of another like his room was a closet, his yeah, rented yeah, room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's like, he would we would do yoga during the day, but then I would come home after my show and find him watching Reservoir Dogs to calm down to calm down mm-hmm, and like. Mm-hmm. So she was like, <clears throat> I I was very excited for my birthday because like you know I'm thinking like Gucci, I'm thinking Birkin, I'm thinking Hermes. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. She says and. All I got was an envelope. So I was thinking, okay, maybe it's a gift card, right? Like, maybe I'm going to get you the shopping. She says, but there was no gift card inside. Instead, there was a blank card with these instructions. Quote, write down all of your goals. Then he had me recite them back to him. And after every goal I read out loud to him, he replied, so it shall be. Like a cheap-ass genie, he gave me homework for my birthday. (laughs) I shook the envelope upside down to see if there was anything else inside. At the time, I would have preferred a Burberry fanny pack, something I could actually feel in my hands and show off to people. Mm -hmm. I remember writing things like, I want to go to Montreal, to the Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. I want to heal my rosacea. And I want to make a living off telling jokes. Looking back, each one of those goals came true. Sometimes I think he might actually be a genie, and sometimes I think I might be a hardworking, funny person, and that shit would have just happened anyway. Um, but now his <laughs> gift just seems prescient by sheer happenstance. But honestly, it was so refreshing to be with somebody so dedicated to self-reflection and self-discovery. Yeah. And just to go like, this person can provide me with things yeah, or support right. that you can't buy. Right. Yeah. She says, besides having a very fundamental emotional connection and physical attraction, your father and I are the are both the exact same amount of Asian. And she means that they both <laughs> have the same cultural experience and desires and attitudes. Okay. So both of their parents were um, of Asian descent, but different mm. uh, nationalities. Okay. I think I'm, I think I'm getting that right. Yeah. Okay. And um, also, I just want to point out, he could have done that supportive thing and the blank card and whatever and put it inside a Burberry <laughs> fanny pack. See, now you're now you being real alley about that's it. That's called a yes and, people. <laughs> but I love that he did that. He also had no money because he was, like, not working. So, oh, like, that's true. It's but it, amazing. But it's, I like that he set up a, a false dichotomy. I'm yeah. here for it. She says, it was always a struggle to find a partner who matched my passion for saving money, taking risks, and being engaged in anything that was challenging but ultimately worthwhile. Someone who had a high threshold for failure and a zero tolerance policy for shoes in a house. Oh, my God. <laughs> he was the exact. I think, you, I think I need to put that. That entire paragraph on my dating profile. Oh, there you go. Well, that's what she said. They were the exact same amount of Asian. Yeah. She talks about how they went and took ayahuasca together. Oh, he's my God. Like, he's, like, very <laughs> holistic. And um, and the yeah. shaman who conducted the ceremony grabbed her hands and said her skin was acting up, the rosacea she was talking about, because, quote, her body was punishing her because she thought she was ugly. Oh. What? So, how uh, do you change the that thought? Well, you think you're beautiful, I guess. But here's what happened. So then they all were sitting in a circle in this tent and drinking the ayahuasca tea. And Lisa is happened. covering her eyes. So she drinks with her like hands. three gallons. Uh, uh, she she's like, I asked for another and another and another. Meanwhile, because everybody else is like already crying or whatever. And then while she was tripping, a double of herself showed up. No, <laughs> no, Misty. No. Hold on, because it gets it goes Holding crazy. Holding on to the table. The double of herself was like, you need to go into the barn and lay down on the hay and take off your pants. And she was like, why? And she said, because I said so. And so then the double of herself. Tell me she had sex with herself. She had sex with herself. No! She had sex with herself. Her double went down on her. They were like, she's like, we were 69ing. I recognize my my birthmark. It felt amazing. She said all these beautiful things. Like, you smell like garlic. I like that. And she's like, I like that too. Like, 
Basically, she, she made love with, with her. She made love with herself oh and my loved it. God and and she they had sex together and made each other laugh. She said it was fun and she felt beautiful. And months later, my skin cleared up because I took antibiotics. But still, ah! she says. <laughs> The self-love I gained. I was about to be so mad. <laughs> she says, but still the self-love I gained after that trip was incredible. But please take antibiotics if you need to. Hey, listen, real quick, Lisa, hold on. Um, off microphone, I just want to ask, do you know anybody who's selling ayahuasca right now? You can take a trip to Tulum, Mexico, I think, and, oh, okay. and have an okay. ayahuasca no problem. experience. Okay, let's definitely cut that out. Do you just want to have sex with yourself? What? Hey, everybody, welcome back to Go Help Yourself. Oh, it's because you, quote, have rosacea. I've got, I've got a wicked rose. Look, I'm pinching. My cheek. I think I've you got can so just masturbate, Misty. I don't know. Okay. It sounds way more fun to have a double of yourself go down on I you. I think in a I bar. would be creeped out. I would be like, <laughs> "What are you doing?" She had. She was so high. But I think what it was is that what she needed mm-hmm. was to feel that she was beautiful. Yeah, to fall in love with herself, to yes. get turned on by herself. Well, I don't know about turned on, but definitely like fall in love with herself. I love this. Then she talks about how her husband is a true partner. She says, it's very uncommon for female comedians to tour with their children, but I wanted to bring both of you plus daddy on the road because I didn't want to spend any nights <clears throat> apart. So he sold posters at the end of her show and made enough for one month of daycare for um, their oldest. It's so funny. Like, and it was freezing in the theater. And like, he was just so ingenious. Like, he did this, he did it all himself. Like, he was in this it. This is before to win it. she was a huge stand up. Yeah. Wow. And like, they now they travel with all the whole family, plus mm-hmm. I think both grandmothers. Wow. Yeah. So that it's, it's incredible. So she says, it's not easy for a man to be with a female stand up comedian. Men are not accustomed to women being gone every night and hanging out with mostly men, men who are professionally charismatic. Mm. But her husband never makes her feel bad for pursuing her career. I never thought of it that way. Professionally charismatic. Yeah. Wow. She says, he also went on tour with me after Baby Cobra, all while holding down a job as the VP at a multi-billion dollar tech company based in Los Angeles. He never slept on planes and often went to bed late at night because he was constantly having to work on his laptop when he wasn't in the office. She says, daddy and I have an agreement that instead of all the household duties falling on one person, it rotates. Some days he comes first. Some days stand-up comes first. But you two girls always come first for both of us. Mm. It's easy to attend a women's march or wear a hashtag Time's Up pin or talk about how Janet Jackson shouldn't have been shamed for revealing her nipple at the Super Bowl. But a true feminist husband doesn't see a woman's money, power, and or respect as a reflection of his own lack of success. Mm -hmm. A true feminist husband embraces his wife's ability to provide by celebrating her and stepping up. Doing 50% of the child care and household duties is simply not enough when I'm on set 12 hours per day shooting a movie. Mm-hmm. Being a woman's biggest cheerleader means breaking out the tit for tat, breaking out of the tit for tat mentality when it comes to tasks, not breaking it out. <laughs> yeah. It's not just saying, yay, you. It's taking out the trash, signing up the kids for after school activities, packing lunch for the kids, taking them to the doctor when necessary, always making sure the minivan is full of gas, waiting at home for the exterminator, paying bills. Supporting a woman can be tedious and boring, but so can being a working mom. Yeah. And also to flip the script, being a, a if you are and we're talking about heteronormative relationship sure. here, right but it's like if you're the woman doing all of those things supporting a man it's also tedious and boring yeah you know yeah that's what she was saying that's exactly what she's yeah. yes you're right you're right yeah. you're 100 right I do like that in her book she's so she has a sibling who is uh, a lesbian and so she's always very like maybe you will grow up to be a lesbian and fall in love with a woman maybe she's very inclusive yeah. in that sense right. but then when talking about her own relationship when she's talking to her kids 
I think she's very heteronormative in describing mm-hmm. that because I think they're so young at this point. And also I just think she's like, this is how our relationship works. But yeah. when you're maybe you'll be with a woman. Maybe you'll be with a man. Yeah. I love that, though. I love that idea of like a, a truly true partner. And the most resonant thing for me that she said is that like my success is not a reflection of the lack of yours. Yeah. Which I think comes up for a lot of couples. Yeah. Um she says a reporter once asked me why I think progressive men who earn significantly less than their breadwinning wives still won't quit their jobs to take care of their children. Why do they still hold on to their careers even if taking care of the children would make more financial sense because the cost of childcare is higher, higher than their net salary? I think I know the answer to that now and it sucks. Women are not expected to live a life for themselves. When women dedicate their lives to their children, it is deemed a worthy and respectable choice. Mm -hmm. When women dedicate themselves to a passion outside of the family that doesn't involve worshiping their husbands or taking care of their kids, they're seen as selfish, cold, or unfit mothers. Uh But when a man spends hours grueling over a craft, profession, or project, he's admired and seen as a genius. And when a man finds a woman who worships him, who dedicates her life to serving him, he's lucky. Mm -hmm. But when a man dedicates himself to taking care of his children, it's seen as a last resort. That it must be because he ran out of other options. Right. Because he's not he's not good enough to advance in his career. Right. XYZ. She says they also go to couples therapy weekly because it's cheaper than a divorce. Oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> Chapter nine. That's a, a prevention, baby. A guy, That's right. A guide to Asian restaurants. Dear girls, in case I die suddenly, this is very important information I want to pass down to you. <laughs> More crucial than money or love. <laughs> this might be the most important lesson in this book. Being able to select a great Asian restaurant is a big source of pride for me. It's what our family does together on the weekends. Life is too short to be wasting meals on bad food, and I would feel some deep shame if I ever caught one of you eating at a gross Asian restaurant. Thank you. I'd rather catch you trafficking cocaine into Thailand and any number of orifices than seeing eating see you eating at a P.F. Chang's. Oh. General rule of thumb, 99% of the clientele should be Asian. If you see groups of old Asian women there, that's a very, very good sign. <laughs> and then she has broken down in like a table by... By type of cuisine. Yeah. What are good signs and what are bad signs. Oh, my God. Chapter 10, bringing up bebés. Um, So this is all about parenting. Mm -hmm. She says, dear girls, even before both you both were born, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be the perfect mom. I used to have so much resentment toward my own mother for not making my needs more of a priority. While most Asian mothers were known to be a tiger mom, mine was more of a koala mom. Thank you. So her mother was not the mother she wanted or needed. She constantly had head lice. She didn't have a nap schedule. She could eat whatever she wanted. She didn't um, help her with her uh, uh, homework. And she admits, though, her mom says she turned out fine. She's like, I have rosacea, insomnia, and terrible anxiety. Right, right. So she talks about how her experience parents parenting um, changed her relationship with her mother. Right. Yes. The best word to describe parenting, she says, is relentless. And then she, Misty, she writes this three-page stream of consciousness about parenting <laughs> and what it's like, and it's amazing and hilarious and totally true based on the parents that I know. And having nannied, like it mm-hmm. was, it's hilarious. It's worth the purchase of the book. Wow. I have okay. to say, great. Um, and then she says, once I had Mari, all I wanted was my own damn mommy. I let quickly go of all that unnecessary resentment toward her. And she was there for me at that time. And when I was little, right? She says, so I didn't just care. I I just didn't care anymore. It made me realize that the most important part of parenting relationships, pretty much anything, is just actually being there. Wow. Chapter 11 is called Uncle Andrew. This chapter was all over the place for me. It's about her siblings and how she was the youngest and her parents let her do anything. I didn't really understand the lessons in this book. Because she basically is like, don't write off a... Um, huh? In this chapter. Yeah. yeah. She's like, don't judge a book by its cover because your Uncle Andrew is weird but is an amazing guy. 
Okay. Maybe that's just directly for I think her two was. girls. Also, I think it was directly for her siblings to not be left out of the book. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And also, so many elements of what she's touched on are in the movie Always Be My Maybe. It's true. Like the mom not being around, the hip hop being attracted to hip hop guys. True. So that's really fun if you want to like read it this is. book and it's then great. watch that movie. Chapter 12, my least favorite question. Dear girls, a question I always get asked is, what is it like being an Asian American woman in Hollywood? I hate this question almost Mm -hmm. as much as I hate, what is it like to be a female in comedy? Because nobody wants their identity and defining characteristics reduced to just race and gender. Thank you. I resent that white men never get asked, what's it like to be a white man in movies? And what disappoints (laughs) me even more is that people are always asking me, the people always asking me are Asian American. What? Yep. Really? So, By the way, I'm going to start asking... What's it like to be a white man in business? What's it like to be a white man in business? I love it. This chapter is all about what she values as an Asian American performer and how she's so confused with why people try to reduce her to her gender and her race. Mm. But she thinks that her grandfather would have interesting ideas. She says, at the very least, he'd definitely have the opposite opinion of all those jealous ass white male comedians who say things like, people only like your comedy because you're female and minority. My grandpa would be like, I can't believe people like your comedy. You're a female and a minority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, times have really changed. When my grandfather came to America, he worked basically as a, as a houseboy at age eight. Wow. Yeah. At age eight? That's because he came here knowing nobody. He came here by himself. What? Yeah. So she says, one Asian value that I'm grateful was passed down to me is knowing how to save money. Immigrants are shocked by how expensive everything is when they arrive in this country, and they never get over the habit of trying to stretch a dollar, which, to their credit, is a very useful survival skill. Yes. She's like, but I paid off the mortgage on our home. Another instrumental Asian value is bluntness. My parents always found out a way of saying things that you weren't supposed to. It used to embarrass me. But like the cheapness, now I'm so grateful for it. But now I love that my family taught me how to be refreshingly rude and honest. It also toughened me up and prepared me for bombing and criticism. Right. Because I had been humorlessly roasted by my entire family my whole life. People always tell me that they think stand-up comedy is so hard. But it's nothing compared to being who righted constantly by the people who love you most and know you best. Who righted? I guess. How do you spell that? Chapter 13, Bride and Dirty. Can Dear girls, at weddings, I cry whenever a bride walks down the aisle, even if I don't know her that well. I cry <laughs> for her because I can tell it's the first time she's had that many people look at her and watch her all at once. Oh. This chapter is her advice on how to do a wedding right based on her own wedding and her experiences with others. And here are nine pieces of advice. Oh. get a you Chinese, don't want a wedding? Mm-hmm, get a Chinese. She didn't have one. They went to City Hall. Oh, shit. Okay. Get a Chinese banquet. They're cheap and delicious versus mm. like a plated meal. Great. Never have a destination wedding. Buy your dress on eBay. Get your hair done at a blowout bar. Mm-hmm. Don't have a wedding party. Have your bachelorette party at Disneyland. Keep it super small. Make it all. Bachelorette party at Disneyland's expensive as shit. But at least you're not like walking around with dicks, blown up dicks, having to carry them. Oh, this is like, <clears throat> excuse me, how to do a wedding right, not like how to do it more frugally. Yeah, but I do love that. Your frugal mind was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, that's what I, well, because she was like, get it on eBay. The buffet is cheaper than blank. Yeah. Because a Disney ticket is like $150. I love you, yeah. Blow it out on the bachelorette party. Okay. I'll I'll drive you there and drop you off. I'm not having a wedding. Continue. Keep it super small. Make it all about the speeches and chill out. Uh Chapter 14, last chapter, Wild Child. Dear girls, I have another confession to make. I was an awful teenager, and that resulted in a very tense relationship with my mother. And if karma is real, it is, then all of my bad behavior will come back to haunt me. Oh, God. (laughs) This chapter is kind of a mea culpa of all her crazy things she did when she was younger. There was one thing I liked that she put in. She talked about how she was 
walking around in high school with like these four inch heels because she had been in like a private school growing up with like um, uniforms. Mm-hmm. And her mom always only bought one, so she bought it big, you know, to make yeah, it last. Yeah, yeah, so she could grow into it. And so when she got to high school and she could wear whatever she wanted, she wore these, like, I think this is, I think it was uh, four-inch heels, and like, she's walking around, and she sprained her ankle so bad oh. that, like, the hospital, they wanted to, like, take a picture of it, like, because it was so, they wanted to submit it to, like, a medical journal or oh something. Oh, my God. And she's like, I still feel pain in that ankle. So that was, like, a, I thought that was, like, a brilliant lesson. She's like, I still feel pain from mistakes that I made. Right, I ha- still yeah. have consequences yeah. from choices that I made. That's a great metaphor. Um, and then, but there are a lot of other ones that I was like, she's like, I I shoplifted, I did this, I did this, and I was like, eh. I don't know. here comes my did favorite you ever part shoplift of this. Anything? No, I told everybody that I would go do it by myself, and then I would buy it and tell them I stole it. Oh, that's right. We yeah. talked about this. That's right. Because um, I shoplifted once. It was a piece of penny candy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And oh, Linda and swung Linda that car Linky. around because Craig ratted on me. Listen, I still feel guilty about the one thing I ever shoplifted. I know. It's terrible. It's terrible. But, you know, every time that I would be like, oh, they gave me the incorrect change. It was only supposed to be $5, and I got 7 And she would go, well. Is your conscience worth? Is your conscience worth two dollars? Mm-hmm. And I would be like, hold on, I have to go hold back on. and return two dollars. <laughs> so Midwestern, I love I it. The afterword is written by her husband. Great, and it is the best chapter. In the oh book. no! <laughs> it starts, dear Mari and Nikki. Your grandfather told me once that when I find the right opportunity in life, all of my prior random experiences will suddenly fit together and make sense. This is what happened when I met your mother. He is a fucking beautiful writer. He writes and talks about his perspective. Like, you've already heard how, what she thought when they met, and now you hear his perspective. Yeah. How, how they dying and like dating and having kids and what it's like to go on the road yeah. as, the, as the man who's supporting right. the breadwinner and like how he was juggling his career and how the choice was easy for him. At wow. first it wasn't, but he had to like look in on what, what those things thoughts were and like really do some kind of yeah, reflection sure. and how they set boundaries for what she talks about on stage and yes. how he tells them this is what you'll need to do when she starts talking about you on stage yeah and like it it was the best part of the book i mean he's he's i wanted to marry him after it he sounds amazing and that's dear girls Okay, Lisa, thank you. Wow. This book sounds fascinating and a little confusing and filled with contradictions, but worthwhile. I think I would have preferred the audiobook to hear her voice and get some Yes, context. and get more. I, I mean, like, I'm an auditory learner, so I like I'm to not, listen to the audiobook. I, anyway. I like to see it. I like to write notes about it. I like to – so um, – but I, in general, any comedian's book is best listened to. Yeah, because they're, they're not a, and they're not really writers. Do you and know it's what I mean? Their they're, rhythm. It's yeah. their it's their written their spoken word. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you put into practice from this book? No. No. Um, did this book need to be written? Yes. I think it's great to have um not to reduce her, <laughs> but yes. to have an Asian American woman uh in this self help genre. Yeah. Um and you know, we we need more of that. 
Yeah, we need a lot more yeah, different perspectives we do. than what's currently out there yep. statistically. Yep. Um, who's it perfect for and who's it terrible for? I think it's perfect for people who have kids or are planning on having kids mm. who are in a relationship because it's very centered around that or people who are in comedy. If you are none of those things, mm-hmm. this is not really great for you. Or it sounds like if you are easily offended or maybe like oh. under the age of like 25, she you does might not, not want love them this. to read this till they're like 21 for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It feels like a very much an adult book. I mean, she talks at length about a lot of sexual things. Great. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um do I have homework? No. Um I lied. You do have homework. Oh. That was if, a roller coaster. If you, I know you don't have children, and, and I don't like to make plans for potential one. children. No. Okay. But if you were to write a letter to, um, if you need, if you wanted to lead a letter to write a letter, you, what is your version of a dear girl's letter? Just one thing, one thing you would want to pass on. And oh, I just want the first God. sentence. Do you know what I mean? Like, God. Yeah. Oh, I'll give you the first sentence. Yeah. Okay. Not the whole thing, but to like pick one thing you would want to pass on and Ooh. and what the like, right? And whomever you can, dear Thor, right? It can be to yeah, 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 yeah. dear Chris yeah. Hemsworth. It Listen, can be to whomever you I, want. I, let's hope to God at some point I have a reason and a connection directly to communicate with Chris Hemsworth. It could also be to me, dear Lisa. I love dear that. listeners, whatever you want. I love that so much. And again, her stand up specials are really funny. Yeah. Um, always be my maybe. Um, my sister Heather and I really enjoy it. It's, it's a so very popcorn watching movie. It is. I mean, Keanu Reeves is amazing in it. Oh my God, I forgot about Keanu Reeves. He plays himself. Randall Park is also so fucking Everybody's charming great and lovely. In it. It's so great. Um, so we covered, uh, I think we talked a lot about what she got right and what she got wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. Yeah. And it just sounds, I don't know. You know, I was really looking forward to like an easy book and then I was like, you're like, oh, I have consent. to like work a little bit harder yeah. about these gray areas. Yeah. 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 But it is hard to critique something that is memoir style because when someone is going, she's not saying like, this is how it needs to be. She's going, I had these thoughts in my own experience. So it's like, how do you? Well, she is prescribing to her future, to her children yeah. for how they should behave in the future. And since she's putting it out in the world, it is for other people to also yeah. benefit from. Yeah. Listen, I'm to the point. And my dating life where I'm literally like, I consent. Do you consent? And that you know what I mean? It's fine. If it's ever fine. Look. At this moment I consent. Okay. That's a whole well, other episode. Well, may your boundaries and um consensual, respectful talk and uh comedy and laughter be Allie abundant. <laughs> Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know, you can also find us on the social medias, Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast, Twitter at podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.